If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 in just a moment. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Antiques Roadshow is one of the most popular shows on PBS. The premise is pretty simple. The country's leading auction houses join independent dealers to offer free appraisals of antiques and collectibles people have sitting around their living rooms, bathrooms, attics, and garages. In his book, The Disciplines of Spiritual Discernment, author Tim Chalice refers to a particular episode in which an elderly man from Tucson, Arizona brought in an old blanket that he had inherited many years before. Now, though the man knew the old blanket probably possessed a little bit of a value when it came into his possession, he had simply thrown it over the back of a rocking chair in his bedroom. It had remained on the rocking chair until the opportunity arose for him to take it to the experts of the PBS program. Chalice writes about what transpired. With the blanket hanging on a rack behind them, the expert appraiser told the old man that his heart almost stopped when he first saw this blanket. The appraiser explained, the item was a Navajo chief's blanket. It had been woven in the 1840s. It was in wonderful condition. It was probably one of the oldest intact Navajo weaves to survive the 21st century. Certainly, it was one of only a tiny handful to exist outside of museum collections. Now, because of its rarity and its significance, the appraiser had no trouble assigning a value of somewhere between $350,000 and a half a million dollars for a blanket. Well, as you could imagine, the man walked out of the convention center, not carrying the blanket cavalierly as he did when he came in, but cradled carefully in his arms. Not only did he walk out carefully holding this blanket, he walked out of the building with security guards on either side of him. He drove straight to the bank and put that blanket in a safe deposit box. What had been junk, a mere accent to an old rocking chair, had been in instantly transformed into a precious treasure. The author goes on to offer this word of connection to the word of God and the work that Christ has done for us. He writes, when God saves his people, bringing us from death to life, he opens our eyes to the love and communicates to us the appreciation that we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we are a supreme treasure. 
Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, there is a passage that is an essay of sorts that describes for us the details of a life transformed from death to life. I want to just look at that first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Verse 6, together with Christ Jesus, He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works. So that no one can boast. For we are his creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. In this passage of Scripture, I think we find the great contrast. The great contrast between spiritual death and spiritual life. We find a comparison. A comparison of the spiritual condition of one without Christ and one in Christ. And so I want to make three observations about this passage, from this passage, relating to spiritual condition. The first observation, we can see the extent of our death. We can see the extent of of our death. Paul in this passage uses some loaded words. They're loaded. He uses them to describe the spiritual condition of the Ephesians and us prior to coming to faith in Christ. He uses phrase, phrases such as dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Walking according to the ways of the world. We, we know what the ways of the world are. You and I have lived in this world long enough to know what the ways of the world are. Living in our fleshly desires. We understand our flesh. We understand the sinful nature. And the reality of those desires that are of the flesh. And then he uses this phrase, children under wrath. Children under wrath. That is 
is the extent of the death. It's the extent of the spiritual condition of those who are without Christ. You know, it's interesting, though, because humans are capable of hiding their true identity. That's right. We see it all the time. People who try to communicate that they have a certain uh, lifestyle, and yet, sooner or later, it comes out. Many times people will commit themselves to, to good works in order to project a, an appearance that is far from the truth. But the truth will eventually come to light. And although a person may be able to live a, a decent life apart from Christ, the truth is a life without faith in Jesus Christ is death. It's death. It is living like the world where only pride, lust, and greed are top priority. It is living according to the desires that come from a sinful flesh that leads to destruction and death. It is living under guilt. Children of wrath. Living under guilt because we know that the wrath of God exists. And it will be exacted on those who are not justified in Jesus Christ. This is not a pretty picture. But it's the true picture. Original sin and its effects on humanity cannot be denied. They cannot be denied by any reasonable person. Even some of the most unreasonable people can see sin for what it is. Listen to this. Philosopher Michael Ruse has stated his position on Christianity, God, and the world. He's made statements such as this. With respect to the main claims of Christianity, I am atheistic. Some would term me as a skeptic. But I am an ardent evolutionist. I think that science is the highest form of knowledge and I am a philosophical naturalist. In other words, he denies the existence of God, much less Jesus Christ. And yet, surprisingly, he ardently defends the biblical doctrine of original sin. This is what he wrote about original sin. I think Christianity is spot on about original sin. How can one think otherwise? So here's someone who denies the existence of God and he says, how can anybody think that original sin does not exist? He relates it to the reality of, of what was going on during uh, the years of Hitler and the Nazis. And he says that, that there were some of the most civilized and advanced people in the world that embraced a slime ball. And even participated in the Holocaust. He goes on to write, I think St. Paul and the great Christian philosophers had real insights into sin and freedom and responsibility. And he goes on to say, I want to build on this rather than turn from it. Now, this is ironic. Ironic that, that those who deny the existence of God cannot deny the effect of sin in spiritual darkness. It's that. 
It is there. We don't often discuss sin. We don't often discuss spiritual darkness because it's not warm and fuzzy. As a matter of fact, some of you probably want me to move on to the next point, right? I like to move on to the next point too, but I believe, and I think there's evidence from God's Word, there's evidence from people's lives that have been lived to the glory of God, that it is important for us. It's important. One commentator wrote this about Paul's reminder to the Ephesians about their previous state. He wrote, the more people learn to see the dimensions of their utterly lost condition, the more they will also, by God's grace, appreciate their marvelous deliverance. How can we appreciate and give praise and glory to God for delivering us if we don't understand where we were? Children of wrath. Dead in our trespasses and sin. I said this passage was a comparison. Comparison of their previous spiritual condition to their current spiritual condition. And so we move from our death to the degree of our life in Christ. To the degree of our life in Christ. Look at verse 4 in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Verse 4, chapter 2 of Ephesians. But God who is rich in mercy. Let's, let's read verse 5 also. So 4 and 5. Who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us. Made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. You are saved by grace. So, just like Paul used some, some loaded words and loaded phrases to describe the, the previous condition, he also uses some, some phrase, some loaded phrases and words to describe the present condition. Made us alive. We know we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were made alive. This is huge. Do you know that God performs a spiritual resurrection of the dead when someone comes to faith in Christ? That's why we celebrate. When someone comes to me and says, I want to give my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to turn a flip. I want to turn a backflip. Someone has gone from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. I had a youth ministry professor in college. He said his life uh, mission statement was this. I'll do anything that is not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you call someone who understands what happens when we come to faith in Christ. Spiritually dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were made alive. It's a transformation from death 
to life. Paul also says we are saved by grace. It's not just a, a resurrection, but it's also a rescue. It's the greatest rescue that has ever happened in the history of time. A rescue from the darkness of sin. A rescue not just from Satan and sin, but it's also a rescue from the wrath of God. Realize when you're saved, you're saved from Satan and from God's wrath. God's wrath. Not only is there a rescue, but listen, He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. I want to tell you what, that's from one extreme to the other, isn't it? To go from the pits of hell, from spiritual darkness, to being raised up into the heavens. To being raised up. And not only that, Paul says that he might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is the current status. The current status of, of the spiritual condition of the Ephesian Christians. It's also the current status of all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. But, but let me ask you, how can this be? How can it be? How can one go from death and despair to life and to hope. If sin, if, if spiritual death and darkness is as powerful and debilitating as is evident, then how can one be transformed from spiritual death to this righteousness that Paul is communicating? How can it be? On January 16th of this year, Andre Cassanese died in Paris at the age of 86. He was a French-born inventor. He was in his early 30s when he created an interesting plastic device with a glass screen on which children could draw by turning little knobs. Since the inside surface of the screen was coated with Aluminum powder, moving the knobs resulted in drawing images on the screen as an unseen movable stylus scraped away the power. You know this. By turning the device upside down and shaking it, the little black images would magically disappear. He called this invention the magic screen. Well, an Ohio art company renamed this toy the Etch-A-Sketch. Began selling it in the United States beginning in 1960. And since that time, a hundred million of the little laptop drawing machines have been sold, allowing it to be named one of the top 100 toys of the 20th century. It is unlikely that Andre had any idea the toy he created in his basement a half a century ago would become so popular. It's also unlikely that he imagined his handheld creation would provide Christians with such a powerful illustration of grace. You see, like an Etch-A-Sketch, sin makes its mark on the screen of our lives. 
the, the evidence of our disobedience is indisputable. It's not a pretty picture. We just went over what it's like to be spiritually dead. But when we trust the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blotches of sin in the screen of our lives are erased. And we are made new. Folks, how can it be? How can it be that, that we could be spiritually dead and may, be made alive in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection? Because of the transformation, the redemption that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Whether or not we completely understand it or not, we need to understand this. This is the third observation. The third observation, we need to understand that there is a proper response to this reality. There is a proper response to this reality. Look with me. Back at Ephesians 2. In verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. And then verse 9. Not from works so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Is the proper response to being saved by God's grace to feel pride for ourselves and pity for those who are dead and their trespasses and sins? No. Absolutely not. But how many times do we display a self-righteous attitude towards those to whom Christ died to save? And don't get me wrong, this is not about judging whether something is sin or not. This is not about judging what is right or wrong. It's about living a life of humility while standing upon the truth of God's Word. Folks, if we believe what the Bible says about sin, then we need to believe that our salvation is not just another point of pride. Instead, it's a point of praise. Praise to God. What is the response? How do we respond understanding the, the, the lostness, the, the sin, the darkness of our hearts prior to giving our heart and life to Jesus Christ? How do we respond from to, to the, the spiritual death and the reality that He's made us alive? He has rescued us. He has redeemed us. We respond by humility. By having humility. And also by having a heart of gratitude to Him. It's not pride for us. It's praise to Him. Today, we are going to celebrate communion. Communion is an act. It's an act of remembrance. 
It's an act of praise. And as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, let us also remember the depth of our depravity before our redemption and rescue. Why? So that we can properly praise our rescuer, our Savior. Titled this message, He Alone is Worthy. The reason I titled this message, He Alone is Worthy, is because there are times I know when I come to the Lord's table that I don't feel worthy. There are times that I come and stand behind this pulpit as your pastor to preach God's word that I don't feel worthy. There are times when correcting my children and trying to point them towards faith in Christ and and living a righteous life that I don't feel worthy. There are times that I open God's Word and, and go to Him in prayer and I don't feel worthy of even speaking His name. I don't even feel worthy of asking God for anything. There are times in our Christian lives where we think we're not worthy and we are right. As a matter of fact, none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. He alone is worthy. We boast, but we boast in Him because He's worthy. And as we take this Lord's Supper today, it is my prayer that all of us would come with a heart of gratitude. With a heart of gratitude that says, I'm not taking pride in my salvation. I'm giving all of the praise to God. We're going to prepare in just a moment to receive the communion. And I want you to do business with God. I want you to get yourself in the the right mindset. If you need to confess sin, confess sin. If you need to come to the altar and pray, come to the altar and pray. If you need to come and, and make a step to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ once and for all, then you walk this aisle. And I'll pray with you and we will do business with God. Whatever it is that God has for you to do to be prepared to commune with Him, then you do. Gina's going to come and lead us and I'm going to pray and after that prayer we're going to stand and sing and we're going to prepare to commune with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for bringing us out of spiritual darkness into life with Christ. Thank you for loving us enough to sacrifice for us, not so that we could be prideful, 
but Lord, so that we could give you all the praise and glory. And I don't know where each member of this congregation today is, but you do. And there's probably not a day that ever goes by in my spiritual life that I don't need to, to do business with you. That I don't need to, to submit my will and my way to your plans. And your purpose. So today, prepare us. Prepare us to, to commune with you for your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name.